Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me as always is my co-host, Stephen Kerr. And since this is the time of year when family comes home for the holidays, we welcome into the company Christmas party, Houston Sports Talk correspondent and OG co-host, RG Seal. Good to talk to you, brother. Is there some eggnog available there? What's at the Christmas <laughs> holiday party you got going on? We only wish, got right? Some, got some tunes playing there in the background. Be careful of the mistletoe. That's all I got to say. Um, but uh, yeah, we got some rockets to start off with. And just uh, I'll give you guys some initial thoughts on that. They had their biggest comeback in franchise history, of course, Monday against the Spurs. They come for 25 points down. Despite the win, I'm guessing most fans a little concerned when you look at their recent results. I'm sure you guys have probably saw that. I don't know if I like that too much. Barely beating uh, a, a bad Spurs team, a struggling Spurs team. They lose to Detroit and Sacramento, barely beat the bad Cavaliers. But I, I'm going to play devil's advocate on this a little bit because illnesses and injuries to Eric Gordon, Daniel House, Clint Capella, Austin Rivers, Tyson Chandler all come into play. They've got Harden averaging nearly 40 minutes a game in the last month because of all of the issues. That's why his shooting, I think, has fallen off recently. P.J. Tucker playing way too many minutes and you can see him struggling both as a shooter, even defensively. And Steven, even, even though the house, you know, Daniel house has been playing recently, not playing anywhere close to the level. He was playing on both ends of the court earlier in the season. He's probably not back to being right since his illness and injuries. Yeah, I'd have to say so. I mean, he definitely did not play well, uh, especially early in that Spurs game, uh, the second Spurs game. Of course, nobody did. Uh, ben McLemore, though, I know you made a case for him the other day. You know, he's averaged 17.3 points per game and is shooting over 52% from the floor in his last nine games. So, you know, Ben McLemore continues to make a case maybe to get more minutes than, say, a Daniel House. But, you know, in, in, in getting with the Rockets-Spurs uh, game the other night, I, I guess the Rockets felt if the Spurs could do it to them, they could do it one better. You know, the Rockets, of course— blew a 22-point lead in the previous meeting when they lost in double overtime. Well, the Spurs gave up a 25-point lead, and the Rockets came back and won that game. I mean, it's it's one of those things that the Rockets seem to have taken a page out of the Texans' book of starting very slowly because they, they couldn't hit the side of a barn in the first half against the Spurs. But it is a long season. You know, there, there's still a long way to go. Uh, and as you mentioned, illnesses and injuries – they do play a part, you know, especially when you have both of them together. So not quite ready to throw the Rockets in just yet. They they certainly still are doing better than they were about this time last season when they were under 500. Steven, I kind of hear that anything you can do, I can do better. That old theme, right? Uh, yeah, that's kind of like what you were bringing up there. And uh, from the, the the last game with the Rockets and the Spurs, yeah, I mean, a lot of the people are still upset about that. You ask about the what's the most memorable moment of this Rocket season so far. It's like James Harden's basket that wasn't counting the loss to the Spurs. So I mean, uh, yeah, that was really kind of payback for that. And uh, it, you know, coming back from that huge deficit, biggest in Rockets history. So I mean, kudos to them for doing that. And you know, it's the early part of the N NBA season to me is always kind of interesting because, you know, really, like they'll say, a game startup, uh, the real season starts on Christmas Day. I mean, we're kind of getting a sense with the Rockets, but with the uh, with Russell Westbrook uh, added to the team, he's it's still an adjustment process. What's Russell Westbrook going to be like by April or May? And to me, the real thing that 
you know, the reason why, uh, I mean, looking at the Western Conference right now, who's the best team? The Los Angeles Lakers. And then the Los Angeles Clippers are up there, too. I mean, they both are, are really, the Los Angeles Lakers especially, have a great defense. And and that's where I think the injuries, because Daniel House, that guy's an important part of the defense. I mean, Clint Capella being out of the lineup, important part of the defense. Tyson Chandler missing games, important part of the defense. And the Rockets are probably going to need to add to the front court still uh, at the trading deadline somehow add there because we know when the playoffs game slowed down, it gets back to defense. And so to me, that's I mean, as great as numbers as Harden puts up and, and the Rockets scoring numbers and, and what they can do, it's it's still going to get back to defense and uh, what they can do there to crack because right now they're ranked 17th in the NBA in defense. They really need to be a top 10 defensive team by the time the playoffs roll around. A huge Christmas present for them would be Eric Gordon, who's scheduled to be you know, out six weeks. And if you haven't kept track six weeks from the injury, it's Christmas day. The Rockets play the Warriors on Christmas. Also Eric Gordon's 31st birthday. And if you're wondering what kind of difference Gordon can make, think about this. He pretty much takes away bad minutes of Cephalosha, Chris Clemens, and maybe Gary Clark, all those guys put together that have had to be out there. Plus you'd hope between him and Westbrook, the Rockets can hold it together a little bit more competently when Harden's off the floor, meaning Harden will get fewer minutes. So Eric Gordon, I mean, we forget sometimes until somebody like Eric Gordon is out, what a big deal he is. It's like a domino theory, Stephen. It just like, it, it makes a big difference when he's not there. Yeah, it certainly does. And and in the case of Westbrook, he's certainly picked up his game lately. His shooting has gotten so much better. In fact, I, I mean, if, if, if he hadn't played well, uh, even in the, in the first half of that Spurs game, the, the Rockets would have probably been down 40 points at halftime. So it, it's good to have Westbrook playing better. We we do have Gordon on the horizon coming back. So once he can round himself back into game shape and maybe get his legs back under him, that will certainly help the rest of the season, especially if he can just stay healthy. I may get I may have it wrong, but I, I think they, they took the, the thing off his hand. So I, that might be why you're seeing right. him shoot a little bit better. And, and yeah, that makes a big difference. And, I want to get back to RG and the and the LA stuff in a, in a little bit because the Rockets play the Clippers on Thursday, uh, which is tomorrow as we're recording this. But you know, first of all, you mentioned Ben McLemore, and I'm going to run through the individual Rockets plus minus leaders so far this season. I'll rattle off the first eight Rockets, and let's see if any of these numbers surprise you guys. Of course, James Harden plus 185. He's he's number one of of the Rockets plus minus. Then McLemore, though, he's plus. 184 and and keep in mind that's in fewer minutes you know so that that is a big deal and then pj tucker is next at plus 109 daniel house uh plus 61 capella plus 53 uh chandler plus 48 gary clark plus 40 and then in the eighth spot it's russell westbrook at plus 34 what do you think well it i don't think it's any accident that ben mclemore and James Harden seem to have a pretty good thing going when they're both on the floor at the same time. And so what the, those numbers you just mentioned, Harden plus 185, and what would you say, Macklemore plus 184? I mean, that, what, that's only a one-point difference right there. Yeah, that's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, this guy has become a very valuable. And remember, he, he's got a two-year contract uh, with the Rockets at a very cheap number. So, so that's a big deal. RG, I want to ask you about L.A. because the Clippers and the Lakers – they seem to have put themselves above everybody else in, in, the, in the West. Which of those two teams has impressed you more uh, to start this? Or which one do you think would win if the two of them met up right now? Oh, that's a tough one still to say, because I still think this, the Clippers are kind of rounding into to four. I mean, getting Paul 
George back after he, he started the, the season missing games. And then, of course, uh, Kawhi Leonard with his load management. But, I mean, the Lakers, to me, have been really impressive. Be honest with you. I mean, people in Houston maybe not not watched a lot of the Lakers games other than when they're on national television. Well, basically that's almost every game with the Lakers and LeBron, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean they they LeBron's turned to all all star. I mean MVP form again. You know, remember we talked about this Robbie before in the past where we said you know when's Father Time going to catch up with this guy? Well, he's you know that those games that he missed towards the end of last season, the lost season for LeBron, like the lost weekend for John Lennon kind of thing. You know, I mean, he comes back and uh, this just seems rededicated, ready, uh, you know, starting off the season. And of course, adding Anthony Davis. I mean, the guy remember, I mean, he carried the team to the New Orleans Pelicans just two years ago to that playoff series win in the opening round. And, you know, then they lost to the Golden State Warriors. But you just forget how phenomenal he is. So it's it's having those two centerpieces. But I've really been impressed by the coaching of Frank Vogel because he's really built him into a defensive team for years. The Lakers, the last several years, they've not been good defensively. You know, very, very different teams. Obviously, composition, you add Anthony Davis, maybe the best defensive player in the NBA to your roster. It's going to make things different uh, and and better defensively, but they've just been winning a lot of close games. You know, the late possession basketball, the Lakers do the things that, that can help them win. They've gotten, you know, key uh, contributions from guys, you know, whether it's Danny Green or Dwight Howard and uh, JaVale McGee right there. You mentioned Frank Vogel. He deserves coach of the year just for those two. two uh, yeah, that's I mean, true. Getting, getting Dwight Howard to come off the bench, you know, and you still have JaVale McGee there too. Uh, you know, Catavius uh, Caldwell Pope uh, has had some. I remember everybody saying, "Well, when are you going to get rid of KCP?" And then Kyle Kuzma is really the guy that you thought would be this. Uh, you know, taking the next step. He was the one guy that the Lakers kept for the young core, where they traded away Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, in order to get Anthony Davis. And instead, they keep Kyle Kuzma. He's been injured, and he's when he has played, he just hasn't played very well yet. I mean, he's still a young player, still has a lot of talent, but that just tells you, and they still are looking to get Andre Iguodala to add to the roster at some point this season. So, uh, I mean, he's probably going to come to one of the L.A. teams. I know the Rockets are chasing him, too, but I guess that's why the Lakers, to me, it's been more of like they and they have a big game coming up, uh, not only against the Clippers on Christmas Day, but against the maybe an NBA Finals preview against the Milwaukee Bucks. I was expecting to see the Lakers have eight to ten losses at this point of the season and to be in that four to five range that the Rockets are in right now. But the way that they've been dominating and uh, look like the clear cut championship favorite right now that was nothing that i really you know could have foreseen at the beginning of this season yeah the the, the thing about what the lakers are doing right now is it's not just it, it it's way more than we expected period but it's also steven this is a, a team that's having its best start in like lakers history i mean this is a, a franchise that has a quite a history and he, you know rg mentioned lebron james i'm kind of wondering if uh Maybe he's seeing that doctor that Kobe saw in Germany because he looks like a different guy than he did a couple of years ago. Well, I'll tell you what, and I don't mean to, you know, like bring up a sore subject, but I was actually in your camp, Robert, before the season started. I, I really didn't know if the Lakers would even make the playoffs, despite the fact that they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. You know, we, we both, I think, kind of felt that way going into the season. So I guess it takes a team sometimes more than a season or, you know, a couple of players to gel together. I mean, it's always different. But there's no way that you could have convinced me when the season started 
that the Lakers were going to be this good, basically going from almost worst to first, as it were. And RG, I, I'm kind of curious because you're in the LA area, you know, because the the Lakers have been down for so many years, and the Clippers, I mean, kind of up and down, but but they certainly have had more of an identity than they ever used to. Are the Clippers becoming even close to maybe being the team that more people talk about than the Lakers, or are, are the Lakers close. still the Lakers? Okay, no, it's still I, the I was Lakers. Well, well, because a. If the Lakers were, you know, the team that they were last season and the Clippers had added Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and, you know, they had this roster championship contender and the Lakers were still, you know, basically missing the playoffs, even if they had LeBron, still it's the Lakers and LeBron will always command attention. He's the most popular player in the NBA. He's the most recognized player in the NBA. So from that standpoint, but the fact that they are far and away the the best team in the NBA so far this season. And, you know, they've, they've been really, again, like a real surprise that they've been this dominant number one. At, in, and again, that not to say that they'll come out of the Western conference. We all know how injuries can possibly play a role. The Rockets could be, uh, you know, a different roster by the time the playoffs start and, and they will be a tough out and you have the Los Angeles Clippers. But right now, as far as in the LA scene, when the Lakers are dominant, it's not even close. I mean, especially with Anthony Davis, MVP caliber, LeBron James, MVP caliber, best record in the league. It's really all talk about the Lakers. And unfortunately that's the little brother complex for that. Uh, the, the Los Angeles Clippers have in Los Angeles. And until they, until the Los Angeles Clippers beat the Lakers. Now that could be very exciting. I know people in Houston won't want to hear this, but if the Lakers and the Clippers were, to meet in the the Western Conference Finals, have a real rivalry, and the Clippers would beat the Lakers, well, that would really shake things up. It, they wouldn't take the place of the Lakers. They wouldn't be the La- Lakers franchise. Lakers still be the most popular, but it would definitely, if the Clippers could win a championship or two, it would definitely make things more interesting as far as the Los Angeles basketball landscape goes. I had one other thing on the Rockets, just because uh, I was doing a little Rockets window shopping because, you know, it's uh, trade season already and and check it out potential trade targets in the list it's pretty short just wanted to get your got you guys thoughts as i, I was looking at this and w- one reason the list the list is short is you, you can't include eric gordon in a deal this year because you got the uh, contract extension his contract is one of only two bigger contracts contracts they've got to work with obviously outside of westbrook and harden that aren't going anywhere and maybe i'm wrong but i i don't see capella going anywhere because he's playing so well right now and he's hard to replace so because they're limited with contracts and there aren't any real big fish available that fit the Rockets profile, I looked at the smaller fish and the two names I'll throw out there, Sacramento's Bogdan Bogdanovich and Washington's Davis, or I'm going to screw his name up, Davis Bertans, both excellent three-point shooters. Well, that fits with the Rockets. Impending free agents that I'm not sure either of their franchises can afford to resign without going into the luxury tax and also they make little money. Bogdan at eight million, Bertans at seven. So you can piece together three small contracts like Nene, Cephalosha, Gerald Green, those kind of guys. The Rockets also have their 2020 and 2022 first round draft picks. If if everybody's forgotten with the Russell Westbrook deal, but even with Maury trying to piece together smaller contracts, he's got to be careful because you know you've got Mclemore and House that. They're not ideal with their val- they're kind of value contracts. And if you deal a rotation player for a rotation player, I just kind of feel like you get nominally better. Is is that fair? And is there anybody else out there that that you've thought, oh, that guy would fit in great with the Rockets and somebody that they could afford? 
Well, I think that, yeah, I'd say with what the Rockets have to offer, as you mentioned, I, I don't think you're going to see something really big happen. And I'm not sure that the Rockets really need to do that. You know, maybe something as nominal as those two guys you talked about. I I, I still, my, my dream is still that somehow the Rockets could pull, pull off a way to get Andre Iguodala. I, I just think he would add such depth to that front court. But if, if it hasn't happened by now, yeah, I'm not saying it won't, but I think the chances are pretty slim as far as getting him is concerned. And it's $17 million. Yeah, and I was going to say his his contract, would, again, as you said, putting over the luxury tax, it, it, it might be a, a stretch to, to even think about that at this point. Yeah, you're not giving up. I mean, you'd have to give up either Capella or Gordon or P.J. Tucker, and, and are you really making yourself better if you give up either any of those guys? Probably not. Yeah, that's the only way that uh, – you know, is giving up uh, somebody like uh, Capella or PJ Tucker. And I, I don't think that you improve your roster that way because uh, both are very valuable to the Rockets. And, and if Andre Iguodala, what everybody is hoping around the league, except for Memphis, they want to trade him. But, uh, you know, a lot of teams are hoping for that buyout. And then it seems to be more likely that uh, from everything that he would go to one of the Los Angeles teams and that's why the Rockets have been trying to trade for him because they probably realize if he gets out on the open market, he'd choose the the Lakers or the Clippers. Let me move to the Texans because uh, good news for them, Deshaun, DeAndre, both uh, make the Pro Bowl team. And for the for, for the second time in history, the Texans have a left tackle in the Pro Bowl. And RG, I know you've been gone for a while, but we have this new chess master named Bill O'Brien, who's a genius GM and coach, and he's got Laramie Tunsil making his first ever Pro Bowl team. Yeah. Does he have him like uh, you know timing his starts too to to to, to do well there and stuff like that? Yeah, um, uh, I I I mean I I get I think that the offensive line has definitely improved under uh, you know Laramie Tunsil with his addition. So I mean we have to give him credit there, and he is the left tackle that can anchor that position for the next ten years. So did B- Bill O'Brien mission accomplished when he traded that away? It just you you hate to lose draft picks. Uh, uh, but he is Trader Bill now. And so, I mean, we'll see in the offseason what he might do. And, and they do have some middle round picks. And, uh, you know, he's in the win right now mode, but definitely adding Laramie Tonsil to this team and to that, you know, improving the offensive line. Uh, it's It's been a, I mean, Deshaun Watson's definitely benefited from that. And that's the most important guy in the franchise. Steven, when we recorded the Texans postgame show, neither of us realized Tampa Bay wide receiver Chris Godwin hurt Late in the uh, Lions game, both Godwin and Galveston's own Mike Evans look to be out for the Sunday or Saturday's game. And if you're not following Tampa closely, both of them made the Pro Bowl and had 1,000-yard seasons before they went down. So the Texans catch a break. Yeah, they certainly do. I had just seen that uh, recently, and I thought, wow, you know, Jameis Winston, I mean, part of the reason that he's been so hot lately is because of those two guys, Evans and Godwin. So the fact that they're, but you know, sometimes when you give other players a chance to play, I mean, the Texans certainly cannot afford to lay down on this game. They can't take anything for granted. Um, but those two losses are certainly significant. I believe both of them are hamstring injuries, uh, as I recall. So that that is going to be a big blow to the Buccaneers. But they're they're still hot. They're still riding a winning streak. And you know, the Texans are going to be on the road. And you know, it's fascinating how. Deshaun Watson is coming back to the place where he was just oh, two or three years ago 
when he led Clemson to the national championship. So there are going to be some great memories for him in that stadium. Hopefully Vernon Hargraves took away some secrets from Tampa too. Well, that's right. That's right. Vernon Hargraves is playing against his former team. So I, I, I have a feeling that he might be maybe the defensive player of the game in this game. I'm, I'm looking for big things from him, big things from Deshaun Watson and, the Texans certainly hope so because they really need to get this game, especially if they want to wrap up the AFC South. Well, and that's just it because a lot of this will be – a lot of it will depend on what the Kansas City Chiefs do this weekend as well. If the Texans win that game, then it will get beat. The Texans win the AFC South, win the division. But with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, with their game against – they have a game against the uh, Chicago Bears at Soldier Field. So – that could be an important game for seeding if the, if the Chiefs lose because the Texans probably they definitely would rather have the three seed than the four seed because facing Buffalo even though you're facing at home that's a very tough team they match up well with the Texans the Texans barely beat them last year they get they're the type of team that gives Texans problems because they have a very good pass rush a very good secondary defense so you, you know they're difficult to score on and and they have. You know, they can pound the ball, they can run the ball, so they can be a bit uh, efficient offense. I mean, to me, that's a difficult matchup for the Texans, even if they get them and it's at home. And, of course, if they win that game, they're going to face the Ravens in the second round. And you want to avoid the Ravens, you'd much rather play the Patriots or the Chiefs at this point if you're the Texans, just better matchup-wise. Absolutely. And uh, there is another Texans uh, defensive player that uh, was recognized, and rightfully so, with an honor we need to congratulate safety Justin Reed. Uh, he was voted the winner of uh, the annual Texans Ed Block Courage Award. It's not an award that you hear much about, but it's uh, usually given to an athlete based on his grit and toughness. And you can certainly say that about Reed, especially this season, because he's had injuries to his shoulder and his wrist. But he has played through pain this season. Green Jackson uh, could have missed the uh, Texans game, as it turns out, because uh... – he hit, hit, hit a little snag, didn't he, Stephen? Uh, his, his, his year is over. Yeah, it certainly is. I was a little surprised when I saw this uh, earlier. But, uh, yeah, the NFL has suspended Kareem Jackson for the remaining two games of the season. And it stems from a DUI arrest that he had back in September. So, uh, you know, I, I guess they were waiting for the investigation to conclude or what have you and gathering all the evidence. But, yep, the Broncos are going to be without Kareem Jackson for the next two games. I, I, you know, the Texans may still have lost that game if he had been out, but I, I think it certainly would have been a lot closer if he if he had missed that game instead of uh, the next two games for the Broncos. That fumble recovery was a game changer. I, I yeah, thought. it was. It, it turned the momentum certainly in the game. But that just gets back to again talking about the Texans, and this is why it's been so frustrating being at Texans France and the exception of their franchise in 2002. And Rodney Harrison brought this up on Sunday Night Football. You know, he said, I don't know which Texans team to believe in. Is it the one that went out and beat the Patriots? Is it the one that lost to the Broncos? Is it the one that came and beat the, the Tennessee Titans? And the way the Texans are, they'll go and win this weekend against Tampa Bay. But would it surprise anybody with the seating on the line and the chance to take the three seed if they lost at Tennessee at home or if they lost to the Buffalo Bills in the first-round playoff game? No, because that's just how things have been under Bill O'Brien. So get back to the larger question you know here is bill o'brien the one to lead the franchise beyond this season i mean he'll have another good season win another division uh, and he's now the gm so he's not going to fire himself but i mean that gets back to cal mcnair and the leadership of the organization but but just right now to me the texans really have a lot to prove because just getting to the playoffs again and winning one playoff game and bowing out in the second round in order to prove something to texans 
fans, the media, and even the rest of the NFL that they're a serious franchise, they're going to need to go and really win a second-round playoff game this year on the road. Well, it would have to be on the road because they'd be the third or the fourth seed. But it, they would have to go out and beat somebody like a New England, somebody like you know a, a Kansas City or, or you know a Baltimore team. You know that's basically they're going to have to prove. They're going to have to show that. In the playoffs, get to a get to an AFC you know championship game. To me, that that's what they really need to show. Advance in the playoffs, and then that's something to really build on for the next year. Maybe even surprisingly get to a Super Bowl. You never know. But if they're just going to be a first round beat the Bills or beat the Steelers or beat the Titans at home in a playoff game, I mean, what do you agree, guys? I mean, would that prove anything to you and then they go and lose in the second round that's that's the texans in their franchise history well i agree here's the thing rg and i have bad news for the the bill o'brien haters out there and and i'm not a bill o'brien hater but i i would say that my jury is still out on whether he is a solid coach I, i still think he has too much on his plate the moves that he's made this year at least in the short term they look really well look really good but you know you've got to look at the big picture two, three years down the road when your draft choices are affected. But but here's the bad news. If Cal McNair and, and the Texans ownership, if they give Bill O'Brien a major contract and more responsibilities and they get rid of Rick Smith and Brian Game, you know, if they do that right after the Texans went 4-12, and 12, they're certainly not going to bounce Bill O'Brien this season, even if the Texans lose in the first round or even if they make it past the first round and lose in the second I just don't think that's going to happen. I mean, that would have to be an absolute catastrophe over the next couple of years, I think, before the McNairs are even going to think about bouncing Bill O'Brien at this point. Yeah, I mean, just I wanted to go back to, you know, what you were saying earlier, RG, and the, the Texans losing that game to Denver. And, you know, in the NFL, I mean, we live in this little Texans bubble sometimes and go, oh, gosh, you know, you can't lose to a Denver. Well, the 49ers, everybody's high on the 49ers this year. What did they do? They just lost to the Falcons, and the Falcons are not good. And the the, the, the Texans took care of the Falcons easily, and, and, and that's not a team that, that you, you should lose to if you're the 49ers. And really, for most of these teams, occasionally, every now and then, you're going to lose to a crummy team. Yeah, New England's not. We get it. We get it. New England and Tom Brady aren't. They don't lose to crappy teams usually, unless it's Miami late in the year in a game that doesn't count or something like that. They 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 made a trip tripped on the Dolphins a couple of times over the last decade, but that's about it. I mean, it happens in the NFL. It just does. No, I I grant that, but to me, that game was earlier this year against the Carolina Panthers, who've turned out to be a terrible team. They fired their coach, and that was the game that okay, you have a bad hiccup at home during the season. Don't let it happen again. Well, then you beat the Patriots, and it happens again. And it's happening. It's happened throughout Bill O'Brien's. If this was just the first time or something happened, no. But, I mean, we've seen this. And that's why it's hard to get excited about the Texans. And, I, again, I bring back Rodney Harrison said the same point that a lot of Texans fans agreed with. He said, I just don't know which team's going to show up. And that's an inconsistent team. And it's not to say that Bill O'Brien's not a, a good coach. He can be a good, solid coach. But that could be a solid coach that's 9-7, and seven, maybe 10-6 and six every year, and loses in the playoffs by the second round. That's just not somebody that's going to take you to the Super Bowl. Maybe he's just a builder, not a sustainer. I mean, remember those terms? You know, so it's it's something to look at. And again, I mean, I'm just saying for I, maybe I speak for other Texans fans. But to me, if this team gets wins another AFC South 
and then either loses their wild card game or loses in the second round, even if it's a close game on the road. Hey, we had close games against Baltimore, New England, the playoffs that we've lost in the second round. Unless this team gets to an AFC championship game and proves to me and shows some grit, and, you know, to me, it's another season with disappointment. Even though you can always say, oh, winning a division and getting to the playoffs, I mean, that's good in the NFL. But if you really want to be a title contender, if you really want to win a Super Bowl, I mean, you really got to start showing something and show something in the playoffs and show that you can beat good teams and just not the the wild card teams like the Steelers that don't have a quarterback that are basically playing over their heads and get to the playoffs or the Tennessee Titans, kind of the same thing with a, you know, Ryan Tannehill quarterback, whomever they end up playing, you know, they got to beat somebody of value in the playoffs. Show me then. It's going to have to be the Patriots, probably. I mean, you get past the first round and nobody's going to be impressed with Beating the Bills or the Steelers, I don't think. So it, it would most likely be the Patriots. And that's where seeding is important because the Patriots most likely, you know, are going to be because if they they're going to beat Miami, probably even if they lose to the Bills. But if the Chiefs lose this game, that's why it's very important because they their last game, they should win the Chiefs. I believe they are they playing the Broncos the last game. Oh, you should beat the Broncos, you're saying? Is that what you're saying to me? Yeah, it's that home. It's either the Broncos or the the Chargers. I want to say, but I I have I have to go back and look at the schedule. But it's a game that they should win. So the game that they could potentially lose is this weekend at Soldier Field because that's a tough place to play. And the Bears are still, I mean, by the skin of their teeth, they're still in the playoff hunt. So they're going to be still trying to play for something. I imagine win in the playoffs. That's all we're asking. That's it. Uh, win a couple of games. That's uh not not, not a. Not a major thing. Well, it is kind of in the NFL. That's a big deal. If you get to a conference championship, uh, let, let me ask you guys about uh, the Astros uh, week that was, and, and a couple things happened. They signed Joe Smith to a two-year deal, which uh, that's great. Um, that's good news. But the bad news is Wade Miley not walking through that door because he signs a two-year $15 million deal with Cincinnati. What did you think about that? I mean, it, it's a good thing, bad thing. I, the problem, of course, is that the Astros still need, say, a third starter type of a, a player, and I'm sure they're still going to be looking for it, whether it's via trade or via free agent. The biggest problem with me for Miley is, you know, you talk about load management. You, you kind of have to watch Wade Miley's innings because he can only go a certain amount, and you've already lost Garrett Cole, who's going to give you a lot of innings as a starter. Uh, Justin Verlander, you hope, can maintain the pace that he has over the last couple of years and give you a lot of innings. Wade Miley is a pitcher that looks like he can give you a lot of innings until he reaches September. And then he just kind of falls apart at the end of the season when you really need him. So in that respect, it, it really didn't surprise me that the Astros didn't bring him back just because of the disastrous September. And then he ended up you know, being left off of the roster toward uh, the very end. So while it, it is a tough loss for the Astros to to not re-sign Miley, just because, it again, it, it still leaves that same gaping hole, I, I just think that there's got to be someone else out there that can be the equivalent of Miley, but that maybe can give you a, a few more consistent innings, especially toward the end of the season. Now, who that is... Well, that remains to be seen. Well, Wade Miley was pretty dominant through the first five months of the season. He was uh, the number four in ERA in the American League uh, up to his disastrous September where the wheels fell off. But there's actually been some in it's kind of funny. It's almost ironic with the whole sign stealing investigation, the Astros and stealing signs that uh, perhaps Garrett Cole 
you know, I mean, it's not Garrett Cole, uh, perhaps Wade Miley was tipping pitches. So you knew when he was throwing a breaking pitch and knew he was throwing a fastball, which would kind of fit in with things because he was just so really good up until that point in September and the things just didn't go well for him then. And, you know, so teams look at that and they look at his last two years because you have to take in the time with the Brewers too. And good for Wade Miley. He was able to go out, get a contract. I think he was done in Houston because of that disastrous September. And then even in the playoffs, he was on the roster for the ALDS and wasn't effective. So, I mean, the Astros were going to let him walk. And he was able to get, you know, a good contract, a two-year deal from the Cincinnati Reds. So uh, kudos to him. And I think he'll be effective over there. And he's a fourth or fifth starter. And the Reds have a really good rotation right now. They've got... You know, they traded for Trevor Bauer last year. They already have Luis Castillo. They have Sonny Gray. And you you put in uh, Wade Miley at the fourth or fifth spot. I mean, that's a that's a good rotation. So getting back to the Astros, you have to look at with the Astros right now. You know, Jim Crane has always said, I'd like to be under the the the, the salary cap with the where the luxury tax kicks in. That's at two hundred and eight million. And right now they're projecting the Astros close to two hundred and thirty million. So that's why um with all these potential roster moves, I mean, they still are going to have to find ways to maybe shed some salary to, or, you know, or Jim Crane is going to have to just bite the bullet at least for one year. And even if he pays the one luxury tax, there's a 208 million luxury tax and another one at 228 million. I'm sure he's probably want to get it at least under that 228 million and be closer to that 208 to 218, something like that. Uh, that would be preferable or 220, something like that. So he's only paying that initial luxury tax, at least for this season, then reset next year when some contracts come off the books. But that that all plays into how do you sign Springer long-term? I mean, what do you do there? That's why there's been these rumblings of potentially trading Carlos Correa and the Josh Reddick contract together, and what could you get from that? But that would be selling low on Carlos Correa uh, after he's had all these back issues, only played 70-some-odd games last year. So, I mean, there are a lot of question marks for the Astros hanging over the organization this offseason. So it was good for them to re-sign Joe Smith. I'm not even sure that they'll be able to have the money to go out for Will Harris because he's going to command bigger dollars. And you can already say we have Ryan Presley, we have Roberto Asuna, we have Josh James, we have Joe Smith. At this point, even though Will Harris has been really good, he's a luxury. Maybe you allocate those dollars towards starting pitching, towards a catcher, towards other needs. Can you sell any higher on Carlos Correa if you keep him for another year? Of course you can. I mean, the guy could come out and, you know, play uh, 140 to 150 games and have an MVP caliber season and look fantastic. And then he's got one year remaining on his contract. And, uh, you know, there'd be all these bidders if you wanted to unload him after that. I mean, yeah, it's a, Right now, he's had back issues. He only played a certain amount of games last year. And, 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 and this is a guy who was cornerstone of the franchise. So, I mean, you would be selling low. You, you can as long as he doesn't miss a ton of games like he has been prone to do. If he has a great season, I mean, that's the risk you obviously take by keeping here another year is if he has a great season and then you want to trade him, then his value probably goes up. If he has another great season – it doesn't matter because in a year you're limiting the number of teams that would want to pay a lot for him because a team that's going to pay a lot for him is a team that's going to want to keep him beyond an, one more year left on his on his contract. Well, now. we'll see about that because there are a couple of cases coming up this year. If uh, Chris Bryant wins his arbitration case where he that we remember that whole thing where he it doesn't sound like he will, but he'll have two years left. But there's also Mookie Betts. He's got one year left. 
if the Red Sox end up trading Mookie Betts this season or by the July trading deadline and see what kind of haul he brings back for the Red Sox. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the risk. But right now you aren't going to get what you would normally get for Carlos Correa because people he's missed most of the last or a significant part of the last two seasons. He had back problems. Uh, you, you know, why do we want to give up our you know best prospects for that? If he comes off some super season where he's in the top 10 in MVP voting, you know, has 30 plus home runs, which is all possible. This is a guy entering his prime years. So let's not forget that either. So, I mean, that's the risk the Astros have to take if they decide to maybe package him in a deal right now saying, we think that he's probably going to get injured again. And and then, and we are not going to be able to resign him long-term and we can get this right now. Let's do it. Or they say, let's, you know, we're going all in. The Astros still want to win here. They lost Garrett Cole, but hey, can go out and add other ways, you know, get, and especially if they can uh, sign George Springer long term. That's the thing that I'm watching for this offseason because that's going to determine a lot as far as in the future. Because, I mean, all three outfielders, Michael Brantley, George Springer, uh, Josh Reddick, right now currently stands, they're free agents after this season. So, and that's why you don't want to trade somebody like it's difficult for Jeff Luno to dangle like a Kyle Tucker in a deal right now because that's a guy who's going to be cost controlled, low cost with the Astros, all these salary cap problems who you can plug into the lineup right now in the, in the outfield or at least by next season when you have these potential departing free agents. Yeah, I, I just don't know if you're going to get much more for Carlos Correa in another year. And also, I mean, I just feel like back, back problems are undefeated. Right now, what do you think you get for him right now coming off two injury plague seasons where his value is pretty much at an all-time low? Not two, four. Four? Yeah, he's basically averaged 40 games missed over the last four years. Oh, I thought you meant like remaining on his contract. I, I thought you meant like uh, like he had two years. He has two years until free agency. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I'm saying you, I thought you said two years, uh, the last two years of injury plagued. And I'm saying the last right. four years of injury plagued years. Well, I don't look. No, I mean, 2017, he played a significant portion of the games. And he, he I mean, he he's still it's been more the last couple of years with the back issue where he was out and he was not effective in the 2018 playoffs for the most part in the end of the season because of those back issues. And then this past season when they they did kind of coddle and baby him. I, I shouldn't say baby. They did kind of like take things. They didn't try to force him back into the lineup because the Astros were so far ahead. It was like 2017 again. So they didn't have to force him into the lineup in order to win games towards, you know, so they could let him take his time in the rehab. So that was part of it and get ready for the postseason. He was, I mean, he did have, you know, his moments in the postseason. I mean, that's Carlos Correa is a big reason why the Astros are, you know, advanced to the World Series and got as far as they did. He had some very key hits in that in that postseason. And and that's just why he's so tantalizing, because he he has that, you know, cornerstone superstar talent that has the, the knack for the big moments. Uh, and then there are other times when, you know, you have these injury problems or he's on the shelf or he's just not the player that, you know, you would think that you would build a franchise around. After the Rendon and Kluber signings, where do you think the AF, the AL West is right now, RG, with the Astros, the A's, the Angels, the Rangers? How, how do you see the, the AL West? Well, the Astros have come down to the pack. I mean, I would still say, I mean, I still have to see what the Astros do pitching wise because I want to see them add one more pitcher at least. And then, I, you know, with Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke and Lance McCullers coming back and Jose Urquidy and, and maybe Forrest Whitley and then the bullpen that we talked about. Plus, they still have a stack roster as far as their lineup. I would give the Astros the advantage there. But losing Garrett Cole, I mean, this, this guy's the most dominant pitcher in baseball right now. He just went to your, I mean, basically the Yankees are 
far and away, they're the favorites now, you know, I mean, uh, they're the team that has the high expectations. They're expected to win the World Series. They're expected to win the AL pennant. So the Astros are back to an underdog role there, at least in the American League. But in the American League West, the Astros losing Garrett Cole and then also the Angels getting – Angels still need to add pitching. I mean they are, you know, have – they added Anthony Rendon to go with Mike Trout. And they're getting Shohei Otani, the fabulous two-way player. He'll be able to do really well. Uh, but – I mean, look at that rotation. They signed Dylan Bo- Bundy. They have uh, Andrew Haney. They, they've been rum- there have been rumblings. Well, hey, they were in on Garrett Cole, and they were in on Madison Bumgarner. They didn't. They didn't sign you know Stephen Strasburg, whomever. They didn't sign any of those guys. And then now they're particularly looking maybe through trade of going out and getting somebody like a uh, David Price. But it wouldn't have surprised me if a Dallas Keuchel or a Hinjin Ryu ended up with the Angels there. But they need pitching. And then the A's are a very good team already. We'll see what Billy Bean does in the offseason. But, you know, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Marcus Simeon, and they already have Manea, the pitching, you know, that uh, that can give, you know, the Astros and other teams problems. They've shown the last couple of seasons getting into the playoffs. They're a very good team. And then the Rangers, I've, I, I like what they've done with their staff, getting Corey Kluber. And then you add that to Mike Minor, uh, you know, and uh, Lance they also Lynn. have Lance Lynn. Right, exactly. So, I mean – they're a team. They probably need to add more punch. They have some trades that they could potentially make. Do they sign Josh Donaldson? There are rumblings that he could potentially go to the Rangers, but they say they've dropped out. And who knows what guys they could trade? They have prospects. So it's more just about these other teams. Only Seattle, you can say, that team's completely rebuilding, right, guys? That that yeah, that yeah, it's out of it. The other teams. You can make a case for them being, you know, at least for the wild card or even to winning the division. And the Astros, it's no guarantee that they're going to win a division, especially with the cloud hanging over the organization and all the potential departing free agents after the season and what might happen, question marks. That can sometimes weigh on a team during a season. And they had a long postseason run, too. So we just don't know. There's some uncertainty there. So you can't just say automatically, well, the Astros are going to be back in the playoffs next year and win the division in the AL West. That AL West is a lot better than it was uh, even a year ago. Yeah, there certainly is a lot of unknown, even with the Astros. I mean, we we don't know how much the you know the the ripple effect of whatever this investigation comes out. But I, I still think that the A's are really the most dangerous team to that the Astros need to watch out for. But I'd say the Angels, you know, they're coming up behind them, so it, it's certainly not going to be a cakewalk. You know, the window of opportunity is so little, especially in baseball. Every year, the division is trying to get better, so. I think it's going to be pretty tough for the Astros to even win the division, just depending on how a few things fall with them the rest of the offseason. Can they can they fill the pitching holes? Can they get a catcher that can at least, you know, have some some pop in his bat? Uh, what's going to happen with the investigation? And what are some of the other teams going to continue to do through the offseason? Yeah, you, you forget that not only do you lose Garrett Cole, but you know, you're relying, your one-two starters. I mean, we just think it's going to last forever, but Justin Verlander will be 37. Zach Granke will be 36 when the season starts. These guys, we could start seeing injuries. We could start seeing a, a little bit of a slope downward. Uh, that's possibility. I, I, I will give this little tidbit, RG, and I, I don't know if we've discussed this at all on the podcast, but look, I mean, the Astros, they're going to have a lot of guys out there like, Jose Arquiti and Lance McCullers that you're not sure how many innings you're going to get from them from start to start, but there is something that looks like it's going to happen where uh, they're going to add a roster spot. That's going to be huge to have another pitcher potentially on the roster. 
and, and take a little bit of pressure off some of the relievers so you don't stack up those innings on some of your best relievers uh, as the year goes on. I think that could matter a lot for the Astros. I mean, you know, there's conversation that, oh, maybe it's going to be a Garrett Stubbs, like a third catcher that can play multiple positions. I heard A.J. Hintz discuss that. But I, I just think that's uh, it's worth noting. It's worth noting, and you can always, like, switch out that roster spot. Sometimes you might have 14 pitchers, right, and 12 position players, or 13 and 13, uh, you know. So there are ways that, of kind of adjusting the roster there and doing that, too, depending on, like, what games you have coming up. Uh, yeah, that will be. I I still think the Astros, Jeff Luno said at the very beginning of this offseason, we are looking to add at least one pitcher, maybe two starting pitchers. So there could be something where the Astros either go out and make a trade, sign a free agent for one starting pitcher. And then, you know, we've seen this in the past. Maybe a pitcher signs a minor league deal who's a veteran starter or uh, you know, that could potentially be, a, you know, filler or replacement. And we've also forgot about like Brad Peacock still on the roster can fill kind of a swing role too. So it, it's, it's always about being able to have seven or eight pitchers and the Astros, the reason why it's a little bit more worrisome than in the past is because they always had these, you know, JB Buzkowskis or Corbin Martin or guys like that ready to assume the role and come in there and and uh, be minor league depth during the course of a season. But now, having traded those guys away in order to acquire players to win right now, you're looking at Forrest Whitley. That's why he's going to be so key. I mean, this is a guy the Astros have thought, you know, organization, one of the top prospects. This is an ace. This is a guy, you know, this is the time right now for him to come up, make an impact this season. Because if he does, uh, and he's who everybody is, originally thought he was not the terrible season that he had last year. I mean, that could be somebody that along, you know, with these other options that the Astros have, I mean, could really bolster the rotation, but they have to go out and get some kind of proven veteran at least to, because you just don't know what you have with some of these other guys. And yeah, like you said, between Urquidy, between uh, Lance McCullers and the innings that they might be able to give, they're just unknowns. They're young pitchers, you know, like an Urquidy. He has a great World Series, but we've seen this in the past, you know, players are second or third years. They just, uh, I mean, look at Framber Valdez last year. Everybody was like, oh, well, he's going to be penciling in the rotation. He pitched so well at the end of the season. And then we saw what happened. You know, I mean, that's what happens with the young pitchers. So uh, you just have to have a good seven or eight arms that you can rely on. And then, yeah, you, you, we can't expect this to go on forever. The magic with Justin Verlander or Zach Greinke, but at least with Zach Greinke, he's not somebody who relies upon velocity. Justin Verlander seemed to has, have, have uh, you know, gone up against Father Time to this point, and he's been another Nolan Ryan as far as like having his fastball velocity and dominance into his upper 30s, you know. So I mean, we'll just see. But I still am, you know, I think a lot of people writing the epitaph or the uh, RIP on the Astros before the season even starts. I mean, that's that just by losing Garrett Cole. Look, the Yankees are improved. They get a great pitcher. They get an ace. But the Astros aren't going to be terrible either. So uh, let's not forget they still have a loaded lineup. They still have very good pitchers. They still have some organizational depth. And and we'll see what happens. And video cameras. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the the one thing I will say, you know, from Valdez, everybody was kind of high on him at the end of last year. But the, the difference, I think, between him and uh, Jose or Keedy is I, I would just refer to Janet Jackson for this and Anybody remember the song Control? That's that's what he's got. He's got control. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that that is the difference is uh, Urquidy, especially as he as he went along. I mean, he was a little shaky at first, but as he went along, he gained confidence, and his control is really what made the difference. And uh, from Valdez, he, I mean, his stuff is so electric. But if you don't have control and you don't have command, 
you could throw 120 miles an hour. It's not going to make a difference. So we're closing in on the end of the decade in a couple of weeks. And, and I've got the toughest question for you guys of the podcast. Who's Houston's athlete of the decade? And I'm going to throw out a couple potential candidates. And if I'm forgetting somebody, throw another name out there. But my candidates, J.J. Watt, James Harden, Jose Altuve, and Simone Biles. Who's number one? Wow. Um, can we have about 30 minutes to think about it and come back? <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw in the Jeopardy music here. And uh, yeah. Da, 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 da. You know, I, I, I'd i have to give it to J.J. Watt just because, you know, it, you you can't when, when I at least in my mind, when you give an honor like that or an award, you can't just point to the on field or on court or you can't point to the statistics alone. J.J. Watt has made such an impact on and off the field that, you know, to me, he's about as well-rounded as they get. And then you throw in the fact the guy has had, what, three injuries now in the last several years, and at least in the first two instances, we, we have yet to see him come back this year from the latest one, but in the first two instances, he has defied the odds. He's not only come back, but he has been at least close to the J.J. Watt that he is that he was before the injury. So I would have to give it to JJ Watt just, just based on all of those factors, not just according to what he does on the field, James Harden done great stuff on the court. And, uh, you know, we, we talked in our last podcast about how the haters just need to stop hating on James Harden. I would say he'd be a close second, but my pick would be JJ Watt. I, I would pretty much agree with you there, but I'll go contrarian and I'll say Jose Altuve and that's because you know, remember he was called up in 2011 and was part of the very bad teams there, but he still was able to have some hitting titles. I mean, he just kind of embodies what everybody loves about sports, the underdog, the guy that was rejected, uh, you know, that J.J. Watts, a, a great physical specimen, you know, top NFL draft pick. Jose Altuve was somebody that was turned away. Basically, you're too small, you know, and then he comes back the next day, gets signed to a contract, comes up to the Astros. Even then, it's like a lot of people were still skeptical. You know, this guy can hit, but will he ever be a real major leaguer and has staying power? And instead, he becomes a major league batting champ. He's the one guy on the terrible Astros teams when they're losing 100 games every single season that you want to go out and watch just because of his prowess as a hitter. And then he becomes a spirit. He kind of embodies who that 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 uh, uh, the new Astros are when they finally make the playoffs. He has a disappointing playoffs in 2015, and he's the team leader. He's the guy that everybody depends upon, and he comes into the office at A.J. Hinch and says, you know, this can't happen again. I've got to improve. I've got to be a better player in the playoffs. He not only wins batting titles, he not only wins AL MVP, helps the Astros to a World Series in 2017, but in 2017, 18, and 19, is there any disputing who maybe the best postseason player in Astros history is? Uh, maybe George Springer can give him a run for his money, but it's Jose Altuve, you know, continually carrying the Astros. And for somebody who's five foot five, five foot six, and, you know, from his very humble beginning, someday he's going to be enshrined in Cooperstown. And like J.J. Watt, he's been a tremendous benefit to the community, everything that he does. Uh, you know, he's he's just a fantastic individual, too. So 
to go along with J.J. Watt, I, and they shared this cover of Sports Illustrated uh, the year uh, after Hurricane Harvey when the Astros won the title, J.J. Watt and Jose Altuve. So I'm going to put in a vote for Jose Altuve. Well, you can say that Jose Altuve is the underdog story because he's this little guy, but there's nobody littler than Simone Biles. And if we're going to count championships – James, you got no rings. JJ, no rings. <laughs> Jose, you got one ring and that's it, baby. But Simone Biles, five-time world champion, six-time national champion, uh, more gold medals than she's got places to put gold medals, rooms in the house probably, uh, in the Olympics and with everything. And the best, the best part of her story is nobody has been through more adversity. We could talk about... J.J. Watt going through uh, some of the surgeries and some of the stuff that he's had to go through off the field. Uh, James Harden getting teased about his defense. Yeah, yeah, whatever. The real adversity is Simone Biles and overcoming, you know, being sexually assaulted and what that has to mean for somebody, not only an athlete, a world-class athlete, but somebody that's her age. You know, she's basically a kid when this is all going on as she's going through all this and uh th- there is no tougher person uh in, in a package that that that's that small than Simone Biles and it, it's hard for me because she that we could say Jose Altuve he could be the best second baseman of all time when it's all said and done we, we could start having that conversation maybe in a few years J.J. Watt I, I would argue if he's not the best defensive player I've ever seen he's in that top two or three with Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor and James Harden is going to be in the conversation when it's all said and done for best off guards, for best two guards. And I don't know if he's a two guard anymore. He might be a point guard, but he's there with, you know, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. And, and he's in that conversation as, as big guards in NBA history. But there, there's not even a question now. Simone Biles is the best at her sport of all time. There's nobody close. She's put up all the the records and all the numbers and all the championships. And, uh, you know, if she does it again here this year coming up in Japan and rides another few gold medals and goes off into the sunset after that, I mean, it's all time stuff right there. And so uh, I don't know. I, I, I think J.J. Watt might deserve it on the basis of the most uh, probably – you know, you talked about his charity, Stephen, but the most Houston of Houston figures and that, you know, all the stuff that he's done in the community and all of the, you know, publicity that he brings to Houston uh, with his presence. But if we're just talking about what they've done, it's hard, hard, hard to argue against Simone. Yeah, I'd say there's no loser with any of these choices. Yeah, I mean, you're leaving out James Harden. He's only one scoring titles with the best offensive player maybe in NBA history and uh, yeah, former MVP. Yeah, and he doesn't even get a mention in these. So that just tells you this, the quality or caliber of the competition here. But yeah, I mean, all are great choices. And uh, yeah, that's why it makes it so tough. But hey, everybody had their vote there. So maybe people who are listening and want to write into the show or, or tweet at HST and, and give their opinions too. Uh, yeah, that's what chime in. Hey, I wanted to ask you guys, too. It's also another thing wrapping up uh, with 2019 is, is Star Wars and 40 years of the franchise. I know veering off a little from sports here, 
But hey, uh, the Rise of Skywalker is going to be open. Is anybody uh, like anxious to find out what happens with Rey and Kylo Ren? And if there's going to be a Baby Yoda appearance, what any of you <laughs> guys Yoda. have any thoughts on that? Is it bad that I quit after the first of the of the reboots, this this current set? Well, you you lasted that long. Some people quit after the, uh, you know, Lucas, the episodes one through three when he brought the prequels in. But yeah, I mean, you at least lasted this round of the trilogy. Well, I kind of quit in the middle of the second of the Lucas trilogy, but I ended up bearing down and sitting through the rest of the movie, even though I hated it. The third one I, I saw uh, at, at home on video, which I, I thought was, it, that was the best of the group. And, and, and uh, that sort of, you know, was a little bit of a saving grace for the, for the Lucas stuff. But uh, the first one, the, the, my problem, I, I've told you this before, I think RG, my problem with all of the new ones, everyone since the original three is just the sense of humor that, you know, and the charisma that Harrison Ford and the, the humor altogether, the stuff with, you know, C3PO and R2 even, and their humor, even Mark Hamill, not, not necessarily known at the time, as somebody that's funny, but has actually become a real like humorous guy. And he's a, you know, he's always great on Twitter and, you know, makes humorous appearances and different shows like the big bang theory. But it, 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 that's the, that's my issue is I think it, the humanity of those original three was that there was a sense of humor in the future or the past or whatever, wherever start outer space. And, and well, I guess Jar Jar Binks didn't make you laugh. It made me cry more than anything. Jar Jar was was tough to watch. Do you care at all, Stephen? Are you going to be watching it? Are you going to go see Rise of Skywalker? Uh, probably not. I, I think I've only seen one Star Wars movie. And, and that's kind of my thing. My, that's been my issue, Robert. Is Yeah, I think it's lost a lot of, you know, the, the humor factor and some of the things that, that made it great initially. I know you can't always sit on the same thing with every episode. You have to evolve. But I think that's been my issue really with, some of the later ones supposedly there'll be a cameo by the emperor and who knows what other cameos will be in there there'll be appearance and people who want to see the uh last installment of star wars uh you know i'm not going to give any spoilers away here anything like that but hey it is concluding a saga after 40 years and closing out this decade and there'll be no more star wars films though because i mean look at disney they acquired star wars and lucasfilm property so uh they're going to be churning out more star wars it just won't be with luke skywalker and leia skywalker and the whole skywalker family so it'll be a, a kind of new direction and yeah the new characters that are in it so we'll see what happens but hey, everybody is getting crazy about baby yoda and the mandalorian so at least there's that <laughs> the end of an era Christmas just around the corner, RG. If you had a choice and I could give you one of these two things for Christmas, which one would be most valuable to you? Deshaun Watson and Bill O'Brien learning how to use a clock at the end of games or Russell Westbrook getting a jump shot? Which one would you take more? Mm. Yeah, I mean, Russell Westbrook hitting a jump shot. I mean, that's just not his thing. I mean, he's going to fly. I mean, he's your, you know, NBA jam or NBA two. 2k kind of guy that's gonna you know run in transitions i take come on let's let bill, bill o'brien and deshaun watson let's figure out some way to do that and have some real happiness in january and find some way to win playoff games yeah i would have to agree because you know no houston football team has won a super bowl that that might actually go a long way or at least part of the way to getting the texans to the super bowl if bill o'brien could just figure out the clock management thing 
and and just be more consistent as a team throughout the playoffs, then yeah, my my Christmas present would be bring Houston a Super Bowl. It's definitely the most realistic of the two. I, I'm not saying Bill O'Brien yeah. learning how to use a clock, but maybe Deshaun figures it out. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So what Christmas Deshaun gift would you out. guys would you give a for for the organization? Haven't you done that in the past, Robbie? What 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 do you want to give to like besides the the how to clock management to the to, what about to the the Rockets? I guess you want to see Russell Westbrook hit jumpers. Boy, I mean, obviously those two would be huge. Uh, the big thing for me, I think, would be if there's anything that I would want to give an organization, it's probably the Texans need a GM that just not only can do personnel, but also understands draft value and contracts. And and I feel like that's semi-realistic. I mean, I, I, I know there's this conversation that, oh, Bill O'Brien might be the GM when it's all said and done. And you know, he's going to have a lot of say so, but if, if they were, I still think there's the potential that they could get the guy from new England that everybody thought we, they were going to get this last off season. And if you get somebody like that, I mean, it, it helps Bill O'Brien take something off of his plate. And I, I think he's going to realize really quickly that he doesn't want all of this on his plate simultaneously. At some point it becomes too much. I don't know about that. You know, once you give somebody the power, they don't want to give it up. I, I don't see him. I don't see him wanting to give that up under any circumstances. They'll they'll have to wrench it from him, basically. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. Well, guys, thanks a bunch. Uh, uh, have a wonderful holidays. Great, great to have you back on the show, RG. Uh, it's good to talk to you. Yeah, Merry uh, Christmas, RG me. and Robert. Yeah, Merry Christmas to uh, you guys as well. Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas to everybody. We will see you guys again in a few days. We're going to have the post game for Tampa and Texans. Uh, look forward to that. We're not taking the weekend before Christmas off, so uh, check out that. It will be up sometime on Sunday, so look for it there. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.